I'm not going to stop doing any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just do one thing. I'm going to go, when I go to bed at night, I'm going to pray. Mm. And, you know, I don't remember when I stopped swearing. Yeah. And I don't remember, you know, when I stopped listening to rock music. But I do remember that every night before I go to bed, I have that prayer. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways, all the way down to small, everyday things. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. Um, This is Kylie, and this week I have with me Bert Merritt. He goes to our church, and I think I've known him, known of him for a very long time. He used to help with Pathfinders at one of the churches we went to, and um, he has agreed to share his testimony this week. Hi, thank you for having me, Kylie. I really appreciate you asking me to do this. All right, well, I'm excited. I've heard the the titles of these stories he's about to share, um, and I have not actually heard any of them, so. Yeah, well, uh, when I was a young boy, I was about 16 years old. Now, I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call it a Christian home. Okay. Uh, the only time that the name of Jesus was mentioned was in a not nice way. Mm-hmm. And so um, my parents decided that I should go to academy and, or into church school. And I did all those things. Mm-hmm. I knew all the Bible stories. That never really translated into giving my heart to Jesus. Mm-hmm. When I turned 16 years old, um, I wanted to... The first thing that I did when I got my driver's license was I wanted to go camping. Mm. You know, that's what every boy wants to do. <laughs> you know, I wanted to celebrate my freedom mm-hmm. with a car, but I didn't want to go camping by myself. Yeah. So I called all my friends and no one could go. Oh. But there was this guy on the bottom of the list. Mm. <laughs> There's and, always somebody on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, he was on the bottom. And the reason he was on the bottom is because he was a Christian. Mm. And I knew that. You know, if he would, if I took him, he'd want to have prayer. He'd want to do the church thing and read his Bible. And that didn't sound like any fun to me. No. <laughs> not if you're going camping. No, right. Not if you're going camping. But I wanted to go really camping really bad. And I didn't want to go by myself. So I gave him a call anyway. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, I'd love to go camping. Let's go camping. So off we went. And we lived in Eugene, Oregon at the time. Okay. And we drove south to Roseburg, where his girlfriend was. He wanted to stop uh, there and say hello to her. And I went to the store. Mm -hmm. And he came back out, and we got in the car, and I was backing up the car. And there was this pop in the engine. Uh Uh-oh. And I thought, well, that's odd. And then it was really hard to steer. Oh, no. So there was a gas station close by, and, and back in those days, a lot of gas stations still did mechanical work. Okay. So we went over there, and they looked in the hood, and they said, well, it's your power steering hose. And we said, well, all right, how much is going to cost to get that fixed? And they said, well, if you go to the parts store, you can buy a little hose for about $18. So my friend, whose name was Mark... We counted all our change, and we had $17.50. Oh. And um, it was getting late, and stores were starting to close. And I said to Mark, I said, Mark, what do we do? And he said, I think we should pray. And I, 
the prayer thing. <laughs> the no. thing you've been trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, everything I've been trying to avoid. Uh-huh. And I said, you pray. <laughs> and he said, okay. So Mark said a prayer. And I, I said, well, what do we do now? He says, well, will it drive? And I said, yeah, it'll drive. It's hard, but it'll drive. He said, well, let's drive down the road a little ways and see what happens. So we did. We drove down the freeway and we turned off at the Canyonville exit and went underneath the freeway. And there was a Quonset hut um, type of thing. And Mark said, turn in there, turn in there. So I turned in there and um, this guy comes out and he says, can I help you fellas? And we said, well, yeah, we sure can. We, um, our power steering hose is busted. And he said, well, let me see. So we opened up the hood and I had this um, international scout. Mm-hmm. And it's what I learned to drive in. And so he looked in there and he says, well, if this works, it's one in a million. And he disappears inside the Quonset hut. Yeah. And he, he comes back out and he, he, he fiddles around down there in the engine and he's just shaking his head. And he gets all done and he says, this morning I was working on a Jeep and I had this power steering hose left over. Oh, wow. And he said, it fits exactly perfectly in your international scout. Oh my goodness. And I was just kind of looking and he says, you know, I just can't believe it. And um, so we said to him, so um, what are you gonna charge us? And he said, I don't know, you got a buck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow. So we gave him a dollar. And uh, you know, it was at that moment, I said, you know, there's something to this prayer thing. Yeah. And I, you know, I had so much pride, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to stop any of the things that I was doing. I, like, you know, I had a very bad vowel language. Um, I listened to rock music and, you know, and I, I liked a lot of girls and, <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. And I, I said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to stop doing any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just do one thing. I'm going to go, when I go to bed at night, I'm going to pray. Mm. And, you know, I don't remember when I stopped swearing. Yeah. And I don't remember, you know, when I stopped listening to rock music. But I do remember that every night before I go to bed, I have that prayer. That's so awesome. That's so awesome, though. And it's changed my life. I mean, that, that's all I did. And I, I think sometimes people get so hung up on, well, I got to give this up. I got to stop doing this. Or I got to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. When, when in reality, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, every, and the more you keep looking at him, everything just disappears over time. Mm-hmm. And, and instead, if we focus so much on the problem, and that's all we can ever see. Yeah then it's just too much. No, because, I mean, like, when you focus on the bad, like, it, you become so fixated on it. You, it's, you really do want to focus on the good. You want to focus on the, on Jesus. You want to focus on what you want to be rather than what you don't want to be. And, like, yeah, like Joel Meyer's episode was my last one, and he was talking about how we come to Jesus as we are. And it starts, like you said, with your simple prayer. Yeah, and that that's the beginning. 
And that's the beginning. And look at where your life has come since then. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, I don't think I'm a Bible-thumping Christian or, or anything, but certainly my life is not uh, a, that of a 16-year-old boy anymore. <laughs> no, no, that's for sure. All right, and then you had you have four stories, you said. I have four stories. If All you right. have the time, I've got lots I, more stories. We've got plenty of time. All right, so the next story, I think you said there was one about a prison Break? Sure, the Pelican Bay State Prison riot. Okay. I think that happened. We had moved, we had been working, I'm a nurse anesthetist, okay. and we had been working in Yakima for about 10 years. I got a job offer in Crescent City, California. Okay. And uh, we thought it was going to be a good change for the family. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Crescent City, California. Now, the big employer in Crescent City, California, is Pelican Bay State Prison. Okay. It um, um, houses some of the worst criminals in the United States, but they're always in the California prison system. You know, I think one of the more famous people everybody recognizes is the name of Charles Manson. Oh, okay, yeah. Charles Manson so sometimes stays there. Oh, wow. Um, he's a very famous prison. They move him around all of the um, maximum security prisons oh, wow. from time to time so people don't kill him. Oh. oh, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and they'll they'll never tell you where he is, um, but um, he it is well known that he does stay there from time to time. Okay. Um, and you know, some of the most uh, notorious criminals uh, there. I can remember. Oh, I think maybe Tuesdays was prison day, mm -hmm. and they would bring the prisoners to the hospital that needed surgery though that day. Um, and they had a special area in the hospital for those. And um, uh, oh, there was like a little hallway, and then there's about four rooms. Mm -hmm. And they would come with um, each guard would or prisoner would have a couple of guards, wow. et cetera. Then um, one day I remember they said, um, we are um, we're going to bring a prisoner next week. Well, yeah, you bring prisoners every week. <laughs> so what's so special? Uh, and they said, no, you don't understand. We are bringing one prisoner next week. Oh. Yeah, okay. You know, one prisoner and eight guards. Oh, my goodness. And I said, wow. <laughs> okay, uh, so what's this story? And they said, oh, we can't tell you. Oh. <laughs> That's but, not fun. Yeah, and I don't know how I drew the short straw or whatever, but I got to do this case and, and everything that we worked on his arm. And he was a very dangerous prisoner. Um, he was in there for murder. Oh, wow. And then while uh, he, had kill he had strangled his roommate. Mm. in prison oh, wow and they came in and they shot him and i don't know if they left the bullet in the arm or something and that, then he had um delay of care oh, for no. whatever reason don't know why but then he sued the state of california and he won oh wow and uh he won a large settlement that that not that he could use but it went to pay his victims or, mm. or restitution etc okay but so that was just some of the examples uh, of some of the types of things that and people that live there. One day I, I was on call this particular day, and you the story is true. You can see it on YouTube. Oh wow! It's it's um, it's quite well documented, um, and two hundred prisoners 
buried what they called a shiv. And they'll take combs and make sharp points on them or mm-hmm. toothbrushes. And they buried them in the yard. Mm-hmm. And so this had all been pre-planned between a group of Hispanic people and a group of black people. And they started to have this riot. Oh, wow. And uh, 200 men went at it. Wow. And um, what a, in fact, this was confirmed. I was at Augie's just last week. Mm-hmm. And I met a man, and um, he was talking to the owner, and I overheard him and say that he had worked in the California prison system. Oh, wow. And I asked him if he had worked at Pelican Bay, and he said, yes, I had. And I asked him if he was there the day of the... Um, of the riot. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, yes, I was. And he said, I had to shoot a guy. I shot him in the eye. Oh. And I said, oh, I remember that case. Oh. I did that case. I mean, that was just last week, and this has happened, oh, way over 20 years ago oh, now. Gosh. But um, it, it was bad. Um, and he he reminded me of this. Um, it's a true story. One of the prisoners had um, his arm around another prisoner's neck, uh, in a chokehold, and he was stabbing him in the neck. And uh, you could hear over the intercom, the guards asked him to let the man go. And um, you could, you can see the man turn around and say the F word. Mm. And the next thing, his head was gone. And the guard shot him. Yeah. And it, it was very, very serious. So I was at home when I got the phone call. As saying, yeah, we know you're on call. You need to come in. There's been a riot at the prison. Oh. I arrived at the emergency room, and the um, uh, doctor, the surgeon, was intubating a large black man. And uh, I evidently had had a nice breakfast because it was all coming up. Oh. And um, so th- we intubated him. He'd been um, shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't ventilate the man. The, and suck the blood out of his chest and keep him alive. And I said to the surgeon, um, we need to take this man to the operating room now or he's not going to live. Mm. So um, I got somebody else to ventilate the patient. I ran to the uh, operating room to start setting things up. I remember the OR crew was there. And um, I said, I hope you guys don't mind, but I think we need to stop and have a word of prayer. Mm. And they said, yes, 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 let's have prayer. Because <laughs> they were all just as afraid as I was. Yeah. And so um, we stopped. And I said a prayer. And I asked for God's blessing for whoever came across our OR table, no matter what happened, asked that they would be healed. And it would give us just the strength mm-hmm. to get through the day. And uh, we brought the man to surgery. Uh, I put him to sleep. Um, I, I got a chuckle out of this. Um, the hospital was not a large hospital by when we didn't do chest surgery at all. Oh wow! And so and I'd been I had done my training at larger hospitals, and mm-hmm. so I I said to the surgeon, I said, um, I'll stop ventilating so that you can take the saw and cut his sternum open. Mm-hmm. And the surgeon just kind of stood up and looked at me. We ain't got no saw. <laughs> <laughs> He took a hammer and a chisel, and he cut this man's chest open. And I was just thinking, wow, where am I? <laughs> and so um, we opened the chest, and immediately his heart 
we need aid to uh, ventricular fibrillation. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to, to code him. They brought the, the code card in, and everything was just in utter chaos. Couldn't find the heart paddles to shock oh, it no. with. And so they were trying to just take the chest paddles and put them in the chest and shock them. Oh. I was given epinephrine. I think I ran the hospital out of epinephrine. Oh, my. Got his heart rate back, and they... They found the bleeder. They they took care of it. And then they went to close his chest. And every time they went to close his chest, I couldn't ventilate him. Mm. And so um, to, to keep him alive, literally, we duct taped his chest open. Oh, my. And, I mean, there was like, I don't know, two, three-inch wide gap in his chest. We couldn't close it. Mm-hmm. And so... I remember, uh, and, you know, these people aren't necessarily Christian, but, you know, some people would come by and say, I don't think he's got more than, you know, an hour left in him. I, oh, wow. I, some people said, I don't know, I think maybe he can make it four hours, or um, maybe somebody said six. Yeah. So we took him to the ICU. Um, they, The weather was good that day in Crescent City. I think they flew him out to UC Davis. Mm. And we heard that he lived. Oh, Wow. And to this day, you know, I think I, I remember that. And I remember that the OR people came up to me and they said, that man lived for only one reason. It's because we had prayer. Oh, my goodness. That is the only reason that he lived. Wow. Um, and then I came out of the room and uh, they had canceled all of the surgery, the regularly scheduled cases. And there were bodies everywhere. And uh, the hospital had run out of gurneys. Um, I was walking over bodies. And prisoners don't have names. I I didn't know that at the time. I know that now. Mm -hmm. Um, So so my next case was JT 1835. Mm. And I'm just asking, are you JT 1835? Are you JT 1835? Oh, wow. And then somebody said, oh, he's over there. Yeah. And so I went over there and, are you JT 1835? Yes. You got a name? I just not totally, you know, used to that at all. No. And it's so impersonal, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how would you like to be a number? Yeah, especially in the midst of, like, chaos and, like, Right. Like, all this terribleness anyways, like, right. you want something normal. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I'll just throw a little biblical thing here. If you read Numbers chapter 16, the last chapter in the book of Romans, mm-hmm. and you read this list of people that Paul is saying hello or goodbye to, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll meet a couple of people and they have odd names. And they have odd names. Segundus. My name is Quartus. That's the uh, Roman name for two mm-hmm. and the Roman name for four. They were slaves. Oh. And they didn't have names. They just had numbers. Oh, my. And so, you know, it makes the Bible just come alive. But it's still going on today. Yeah. You know, when we yeah. have prison ministries and things like that, you know, you're more than just a number. Mm-hmm. You actually have a name. And when um, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus says... You know, I'm going to give you a new name. Yeah. You know that yeah. that that's so meaningful. I mean, all my life I felt like just a number. I, I always felt like people never cared, or I felt like people, um, you know, never knew my name. Mm-hmm. But Jesus does. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that He gives us a new name too, like because like there can be so much attached to our names, like 
often bad. <laughs> and then and he gives us a new name, you know, like all of that stuff before doesn't matter. No, yeah. no, it, it, a totally new name. And I, I'm anxious to get to heaven. And, um, you know, when people don't, you know, oh, that Bert, that Bert. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I can have a new name <laughs> and a new beginning and a new start. Mm. And that, that's going to mean so much to me. It will, yeah, for sure. A lot of us. And so, anyway, that's kind of the end of that story. Yeah. Um, do you want me to talk about Walter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you do you remember Walt? I do remember Walt. Yeah. So after you stopped doing Pathfinders, there was a group that continued to do it, and Walt was in that group. Right. And I went went after you were gone because I was a little bit younger than the group you helped with okay. Pathfinders with. So yeah, I remember Walt. Yeah. You know, Walt was kind of a larger than life character. He was, <laughs> and a lot of personality. A lot of personality, and um, and he was uh, unique. He wasn't like everybody else. No, no. Walter was definitely not like everybody else. <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, I remember Stephanie, my daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, she's probably, is she five years older than you or so? Eight, eight years older than eight me. Eight years older, okay. Mm -hmm. And she would, when she, we came, she started to do Pathfinders mm -hmm. and she would come home and she would say, Dad, there's this man at Pathfinders and, and he said this. <laughs> What do you think about that? <laughs> and I would say, you know, Walt's a really nice guy, but you don't have to listen to everything he says. <laughs> you know, you're going to meet people like this, and they're a little crazy sometimes, but he's a wonderful man. Yeah. And so it came, Pathfinders was really, really growing at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult to arrange rides for everybody when we would go places. People didn't have money to buy fuel all the time. Maybe they had the time or maybe they had the money, but they didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just a great big headache mm -hmm. to try and get eight <laughs> cars to transport 30 kids. Oh, and, goodness. You know, it's a lot of kids. It was a lot of kids. And plus, plan all the food and get the cooks together and the tent and organizing it was just a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So, we had a very good um, man. He came to us and said, What's your biggest problem? And we said, Well, transportation. And he says, I'll buy a bus. So we had to find it. Well, so I knew Walt was a mechanic. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about cars. <laughs> and so I invite, I asked Walt to go with me to find a bus. Mm -hmm. So he found a place in Salt Lake City. Oh, wow. And uh, we drove down there. And Walt and I started to talk. Mm -hmm. And I, I was really impressed with Walt. Um, he, uh, he told me that... Um, he learned to pray from his father. He mm -hmm. said he, the boys, the children in the house lived upstairs and there was a vent through the floor and he could look down at night and see his father praying. Oh, wow. And he could hear what his father would say. And every time that Walter would pray, I, I would almost just be moved to tears. Mm -hmm. he, he would always say, oh, my Lord and master, mm -hmm. Lord of heaven and earth. And, you know, to, to Walter, Walter was a slave, a willing slave to whatever God's command was going to be. And his 
prayers were always so humble. And while we were going down there, he told me this story. He said, I had this nephew, and we, uh, the nephew would jump off this flatbed truck, mm-hmm. and he'd jump into my arms, and he would just laugh and giggle and giggle. And, um, but pretty soon, I got tired of the game. Mm-hmm. And I told him to stop. I was tired. But he didn't listen. And he got um, to, he got in the back of the flatbed tra- uh, trailer, and I, I turned my back. And he jumped off the back of the flatbed truck. And I wasn't there to catch him. Oh, and, no. he, and he fell flat on his face. But he said, you know, Bert, prayers like that is when you jump off the flatbed truck. You don't think there's anybody there to catch you. And somebody catches you. And mm. that's the Lord. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is really impressive. So w- Walter and I got down to Salt Lake City, and there were, we found the bus, and some company uh, bought it, and um, Walt test drove it, and I wasn't, I didn't go with them, I stood on the sidewalk waiting for them to come back, and when I came back, I noticed underneath that there was a pencil-sized drip of oil just pouring out of the engine. Oh my. And so I said to Walt, hey, come and look at this. <laughs> and so there it was, the, the oil was uh, just flying out of oh, the engine. Oh goodness. So um, Walter got our money back that we put down, and, but we didn't have a bus. Mm-hmm. And so we just um, kept going. And um, we thought we'd go along the highway and every time we would see a bus, we would look over to the side and go out in the, these fields and look. Finally, we got to Jerome, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Stayed overnight. We had stopped at the school district there. We looked at some of the buses that they had. But they told us, you know, you ought to go over to Gooding, Idaho, and uh, see if they have a bus. Well, sure enough, they did. They had a nice bus. <laughs> and... Uh, so Walt test drove it, and uh, Walt called Nampa because uh, the, they were trading in the bus. Oh, okay. And uh, he asked them how much it was going to be, and they said, well, we'll sell it to you for $3,500. And Walt says, okay, we're coming, and we'll have the money. Oh, wow. So Walt drove it down there, and I, I remember when we got there, the guy's face just fell because I think the bus was worth like seven or eight thousand. Oh wow. <laughs> we had just picked it up for thirty five hundred. Oh no. Uh, and it was, you know, definitely our big answer to prayer. Yeah. And that had kind of been the whole theme of the time that I spent with Walt that weekend. And after that weekend, Walt and I just became the best of friends. Yeah. And Walt told me his story um, in many, many different parts. I, I'm not sure I could tell this in chronological order, but he grew up in a very bad home. Um, and the first thing that he wanted to do was not go in camping. No, he wanted out. <laughs> and he, he and his brother joined the military together. Mm-hmm. There was this little thing going on called the Vietnam War at the time. Oh. And uh, they joined the Navy, he and his brother Mike. And... Um, Oh, Walt was just a big troublemaker, but super smart. (laughs) And the first thing he did was rob the officer's mess. Oh, no. (laughs) He pulled a great big turkey out of there. And then he um, 
rerouted the steam pipes on the in throughout the ship and had a steamed turkey. Oh my! <laughs> that he fed to all his uh, enlisted buddies. Oh, nice. Oh no! <laughs> and so they threw him in the brick. That was the first thing he did. Well, apparently you were at that time you were supposed to shave. And so they sent in some Marine to make him shave. And Walter beat him up and put him in the uh, sick bay. Oh, no. So they sent another Marine, a bigger Marine. And, uh, well, beat him up. Oh, no. <laughs> put him in sick bay. Then they found the biggest man on the ship. If some 400-pound Samoan, oh, Walter wow. said, he said he came into the um, brig, picked him up by the scrap of the shirt, nine inches up off the floor, and he said... How come you're not shaving? And Walt said, because I can't reach my razor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, so they became good friends. But uh, when they reached or when he got to Hawaii, he was upset because they wouldn't give him his um, a pass because mm. he'd been in trouble. Mm -hmm. So he jumped off the ship. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. His brother rode out a rowboat to get him. <laughs> oh. Well, said, oh, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and uh, so they, um, they were waiting for him on the shore and they threw him back in the brig. <laughs> <laughs> didn't do any good. <laughs> no, didn't do any good. Oh. So they got to Subic Bay, Philippines. Mm-hmm. And they um, put him in the nut house. Mm. <laughs> and oh, no. Walt said on the way up there, they had some little Toyota pickup with a cage over the part. But I think like he had a quarter in his pocket or something. He was able to unscrew all the screws on oh, it. Oh, no. And so and even with his hands, I think they were tied handcuffed behind his back. And he had done that. And they got up there. And here's Walt sitting in the back just smiling at him. But there's no cage. And they're like... <laughs> Where'd the cage go? <laughs> so, oh, so they put him in the um, in the nut house, and they finally they decided that um, the Navy and Walter were going to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that would be the conclusion. Right. So oh. they bought him a plane ticket home. Mm -hmm. So um, he the night before he's supposed to get on his plane, he goes to the bar, mm -hmm. and he meets some. He, he said they were Australians. Mm -hmm. So he's sitting in there drunk, getting drunk, and there was a group of Marines or something. They got in a fight, mm -hmm. and they beat them all up. And uh, then they ran off to wherever the Australians lived. And they well, as they get up in the morning, and um, apparently in this fight, one of the Australians had broken his hand. Mm -hmm. And they, they looked at Walter, and they said, we're going to give you $3,000 if you'll go with us. And never ask any questions. Oh. And Walter said, oh, well, okay, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so oh, no. He said they, they flew across the, uh, a large body of water. They, jumped, they dropped him off in the jungle. He doesn't know where. They traped for two weeks through the jungle. Oh, my. They came to a hill. Uh, Walter says um, down below there was... A limousine came up. A man got outside. He was going to go into the house. They um, they blew off his head, and they left. Oh wow! And walked two more weeks in the jungle. Walked to their nanny site. Walter says they got back on the helicopter, flew back across the ocean, 
landed. He took his little ticket from the Navy, got back home, and came home. Oh, wow. Says he doesn't know who that guy was, didn't know where they were. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> or what he did, or who the Australians were, doesn't even know if they were Australian. Oh, my gosh. He said that was just one of the weirdest things he'd ever done in his life. So he gets home, and he doesn't want to go home. So he buys a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Well, he joins a motorcycle gang. <laughs> And he becomes a leg breaker for mm. the motorcycle gang. Mm -hmm. And they asked him to beat some up some man that owed the group money. So he went out, he beat him up, put him in the hospital. When the man's girlfriend found Walter, and uh, she said, um, Well, what am I going to do now? The man that you beat up paid the rent and bought the food. And oh. now I'm hungry, and so are my kids, and we're going to get evicted because we can't pay the rent. Oh, no. And Walter said, oh, I felt so bad. Yeah. I went to the store and I bought them some food and I paid their rent. <laughs> oh, my. So, oh, wow. So here's this big old guy. You know, he does. He has a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. He says, well, you know, maybe the motorcycle gang isn't the life for me, you know. But it, he said, I needed the money. So I went to Sturgis. And uh, I think he said they had like a $20,000 prize for the last man standing. Oh, wow. And he said, I put nine men down. And then on the last one, I was just so tired, I couldn't even lift my arms. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I just got, you know, the stuffings beat out of me. And, and I got back on my motorcycle and came home. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, that was Walter, you know. Um, Big, big stories and that he had. And um, so one thing led to another, and he ended up with three kids. Mm -hmm. And I think you probably know two of them, or at least one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, Otto Toffen. Mm -hmm. You may know his brother, Garth. And, I think I've met the other two. Yeah, and Zach. Well, by a miracle, Walter ended up with custody of those boys. And um, that's a whole other st story. But um, Walter said, well, you know, I, I ended up with these three boys. Two of them weren't even mine. And the court decided that, you know, they should keep the boys together and that I would be the best father. So I said, oh, so, you know, kind of needed a washing machine. The <laughs> boys get dirty. Yep. And so I said, I was looking for a washing machine. And I entered a... Um, Add in the paper, mm -hmm. and I got there, and they said, well, the washing machine doesn't work. He says, well, I'm a mechanic. I'm pretty good. So I opened up the back of the washing machine, and I was looking at it, and he said, you know, there was a book in the back of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, that, I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah. And he said, it was kind of a cool-looking book. It was blue, and it had Revolutionary War soldiers. Huh. And Walter loved that kind. He was yeah. a patriot, you know. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I, I took that book home. He says, I don't want the washing machine, but can I have the book? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, sure, take the book home. Mm -hmm. And it was winter, and Walt took the book home, and he started to read it. And it made him mad. Mm. It made him really mad. And he took the book, and he threw it out in the snow. And he said, I was, I was coming home, it was about three days later, and it had just been raining and snowing like mad. And I saw that book in the snowbank. And I looked at it, and I was shocked, he said. 
the book was dry. Oh, my. Wasn't even wet. Oh, my. And he said, I, I brought it in and I laid it on the table. And I was just kind of staring at it. And, he, you know, and you know, Walter, you know, WTF. <laughs> you know, I hope that's okay with that. You know, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, for the program. And um, he said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This book and I are going to come to terms. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get the family Bible. And I'm going to take that book and I'm going to look up every verse that's mentioned in that book. And I'm going to look it up in the, in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And he did. And he was shocked. Mm. He said, that book was telling the truth. Oh, wow. You know, um, today we recognize it as the great controversy. Yeah. And, uh, but he had no idea. Mm -hmm. He just read this book. And he, he says, I just, that's standard. He said, you know, who is this EGW fellow think he is? <laughs> so, um, but he still needed a washing machine. <laughs> and so he got the paper, he looked through the ads, and he found, found one he thought would uh, work for him. Mm -hmm. So he called, and um, a young lady answered the phone. And he said, yeah, I, I need a a washing machine. And she said, well, I, I'm busy right now. Uh, maybe I could show it to you on Sunday. Well, and he said, well, why not Saturday? Why can't you show it to me on Saturday? And she said, well, I go to church on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And Walter was just like, you know, speechless, which was very unusual for Walt. And he said, you and I have to talk, and we have to talk right now. <laughs> so he he went down there. Her name was um, Beck, um, Terry Beck. And um, he talked to her for four hours oh, wow. about that book he was reading. Wow. Learned who the EGW fellow was <laughs> and all of that. And she invited him to church, and I think he went. Mm. And I think he studied. He took Bible studies for about three years. Wow. And then he um, he got baptized, um, and you know he he was so he was so in love with the Lord. But some of the, he never could get over some of the of the habits that he had had. Yeah. Uh, you know he got rid of the smoking. Mm -hmm. He got rid of the drugs. Got rid of the. Um, the drinking and things. Sometimes a salty language would come out. <laughs> and you yeah. have to kind of chuckle and remind him where he was. Not in front of the kids, Walter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Here I am. But, you know, Walter learned to pray beautifully. Mm. But, yeah, unfortunately, all the hard drug use caught up with him. Mm -hmm. he, I think he had about four heart attacks and then yeah. that one major stroke and, you know, then ended up in the nursing home for a couple of years before he died, which was just terrible. Mm -hmm. but, and I loved him dearly and I spoke at his funeral. Mm. And, um, you know, I still believe this with all my heart. Someday Walter and I are going to be in heaven and, um, Jesus is going to be there. He's going to be handing out harps and crowns, <laughs> shaking people's hands, congratulating them for having faith in him. But when he comes to Walter and I, he's going to look at us and he's going to say, I don't think I can have a harp or a crown for you guys. And he's going to step aside and he's going to show us 
a magic school bus. <laughs> oh. and, and he says, boys, this is for you. Mm. I want you to take your buddies and friends, and I want you to take them throughout the universe and do exactly what you were doing. I want you to take them canoeing and camping and caving and backpacking and hiking and all of those things. And um, just show your friends what a beautiful God you have. Mm. And now I'm looking forward to that very, very, very much. That's beautiful. And Walt will love that. Walt will love that. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> want a crown and a harp. <laughs> no, 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 a crown and a harp aren't going to work for that. <laughs> mm. But a magic school bus, yeah, oh, that yeah. would work. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Walt, I want to thank you for sharing Walt's stories because, you know, part of when we we collect people's testimonies you know we think of all the ones that are lost mm -hmm. and i'm so glad that walt has you to share yeah. like i i'd never want that story to die no and uh, i truly believe in god's power you know i think this little program is about prayer and testimonies and you know so many times we listen to sermons in church and um you know i have this joke um, people ask you, Bert, what do you do for a living? And I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I put people to sleep. And I'll <laughs> say, oh, you're a nurse anesthetist. And I say, no, I'm a minister. <laughs> and, you know, preaching is a hard business. It is. And I'm very thankful to the Lord that I don't because I would put people to sleep. But, you know, I think we forget that all we can really tell, all we have is our testimony. We do. And, um, they're so, so powerful. And if every sermon had a, a story about God's power, his transforming power, and how he can remake people and change their lives like Walter's mm -hmm. and or like mine, this world would not be the same. And we just forget how powerful God really is. We do, we do. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think you had, we still have some time. Oh, do we? Yeah, we do. And okay, I want to get, you, okay. you said the story about your grandma not wearing underwear. <laughs> Is that what you called it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, the first time I told this story at church, um, I was just a new elder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> yeah, I raised some eyebrows. And, um, you know, I, I, I really wasn't a... A public speaker. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being in eighth grade. I was eighth grade class president and I got up to give my speech and um, my knees buckled. My stomach came up. Oh no. And I said, oh, skip it. And I walked outside <laughs> and cried on the merry-go-round. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> because public speaking was not my thing. Yeah. But when I became an elder, oh, I guess I could tell elder stories uh, too. But um, uh, and what happened in Yakima, the wonderful things that happened there. But the first time I spoke in Yakima, I, I looked the audience straight in the eye, and I said, my name is Bert Merritt, and um, there's only really one thing that you need to know about me, and this is the most important thing in my life, and that is that my grandma did not wear underwear. <laughs> <laughs> you could have heard him. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and they, they were kind of like, uh, probably. I know the pastor was just sweating. Oh bullets. no! <laughs> He's like, why did I let this man go up front? Yeah. Oh uh, no! This will be Bert Merritt's last time <laughs> up front. Oh no! And so, um, and I explained it. My um, 
my grandmother had a sister. Her name was Mabel. And um, Mabel, they lived in, um, oh, maybe Oak Bluff, California, somewhere around the Sacramento area. Mm-hmm. And she had married a drunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was around Thanksgiving, she had um, left him with the kids. There were four kids. And they were at home at Thanksgiving. Um, and he had been drinking mm-hmm. at a bar. And um, he came over to the house. And Great Aunt Mabel went outside and to ask him to go away. And he pulled out a 12-gauge shotgun and mm. shot her in the front yard. Oh, my. Um, just incidentally, um, I guess um, he was the last man executed at, San, at uh, Alcatraz. Oh. And so for you history buffs, uh, <laughs> that was that connected. But my grandmother took these um, four kids home. And um, it was hard. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't enough money to always buy underwear. Mm-hmm. Even our, just the basic necessities of life, they were just thankful to get food on the table. Uh, and it was hard. Um, there were arguments, disagreements, and, um, and whatnot. But, um, you know, they had good hearts, and they meant well. And, um, you know... After that, um, I think it was, obviously the family was not too keen about drinking. Mm -hmm. And so when there was an evangelistic meeting nearby and there was this emphasis on not drinking, the family just ate that right up and all became Seventh-day Adventists. (laughs) And so it it was really easy for them. But um, so that was kind of the way my grandmother was. Mm-hmm. And now it was a strict home. You know, there wasn't a lot of money and, you know, uh, fun. Well, what's fun? <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoy work because <laughs> that's what we got. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, when, when my mom left home, yippee, we're out of here, you know. And um, she met my dad at Academy and um, then um, I was born and, you know, we only went to church when either set of grandparents came. That was the only time that we ever really went. Mm -hmm. And so um, even the first two years, I went to public school, and then my little brother was there. Mm -hmm. And the story goes that um, my grandmother showed up at the house one day and said, "Uh, why aren't these kids in church school? And my mom said, well, uh, we don't have the money or whatever. And my grandma said, if you don't send them, I will. And, you know, my mom and dad were kind of embarrassed Mm -hmm. because they knew they didn't even have money to buy underwear. Mm -hmm. And um, so they um, they said, okay, boys will be in church school. And that's how I ended up in church school. Wow. And I looked at the audience when I was done. I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. Mm. And uh, because actually the church school had been having a lot of trouble. Mm. And so uh, kind of turned things around, people's attitude. and um, Like you said, the people's testimonies. Yeah, people's testimony. And I looked at him and I said, you know, the offering plate's going to come around. You know, God's got all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. God's got a bigger money printing press than the U.S. government. He doesn't want your money. He's got all the money he needs. But why don't you give him something that he doesn't have? 
Why don't you give him your underwear? <laughs> you know, you know, and that's the way God is. He wants our soiled, ruined lives. Mm -hmm. He wants hearts mm -hmm. because that's what he doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important. And that's what's important. So, I, you know, I just want to say to your listening audience, you know, if you're thinking, if you're on the line, give God a prayer. Mm -hmm. He'll listen to you. He wants what he doesn't have. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like that's a great note to end on is remembering that God wants our hearts. That's what he doesn't have. So let's say a quick prayer as we end um, this. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity um, for Bert to share these stories, not just his own, but also Walt's and his grandma's. Thank you that these stories get to live on and that others can hear them and benefit from the way, from hearing how you've worked in past lives. Um, just be with the people as they listen to this. Let them see that you want their hearts and just help them to be open to the thought of giving it to you. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bert. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is Real, God is Good podcast. Or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good podcast at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.